Acts 10, Part 1, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you experienced something where you knew it was momentous in the sense where you probably knew that you're never going to be the same anymore after this experience? You ever have a moment like that, that you knew it would change potentially the trajectory of your life? I had a moment like that about 13 and a half years ago. I was just, Metro was about a year and a half old, just trying to get this thing started. And uh, I got invited to come back to my home church and our senior pastor, Dave Gibbons, he, he put together a group of about 15 pastors around the country and I felt so privileged that he invited me to be part of that 15, to just come to Irvine, California and spend about, I think it was about four days eating at the best restaurants that was available in Southern Orange County. And that to me is like, food is my love language. It didn't take much for me to say, okay, we ate some amazing sushi, just you name it, we had great food. Uh, also to go and experience a little bit of an adventure. We jumped out of a plane, we did paintballing. I've never paintballed before. We just did things I've never done before. And then the third part of why we got together was uh, an opportunity for us to be vulnerable, to share our struggles, our, our ministry struggles, or to share our own personal struggles. And that was, to me, by far the highlight. And I got an opportunity to share a little bit of my own, my own personal struggle of how I grew up in a, in, in a semi-violent home with a father who was physically abusive towards me, my family, especially my mother. And these 50s, 14 pastors were just so great at just kind of like loving and giving me some really great loving advice. And then it got time where Brian Loritz, I've never met him before. This guy's a pastor in Tennessee. And he's out up in Northern Cal, pastoring a big church there. But Brian's an author, he's an itinerant speaker, and I didn't really know him, but it was his time. And because he sensed the vulnerability in the room, the, I mean, it was so thick, you can just feel it, he felt compared to share his own personal struggle. And here's how he started it. He said, I'm angry with Asian people. There was 13 of us that were Asian in that room. <laughs> there was two black pastors, one was Brian, and the other one was Alex G. Those are the only two other non-Asian pastors. You talk about an attention grabber. He said, I'm angry with Asian people because you look down on us. You look down on us, you think we're lesser than you guys, and you're obviously successful, you've worked hard, you've worked really hard at getting to where you are, but you don't realize what my people sacrifice so that you can experience what you're experiencing that we were willing to die for the civil rights movement, and we did. And he said, and, and this is the thing that he said that really shocked me. He said, we're not asking for your money. We're just asking for your respect. That's all we want. We just want a little bit of respect. When he said that, I knew that this was a moment that was probably going to change my life forever, but I didn't know exactly how. Nobody, and I've had black friends in college, I was a part of a multi-ethnic ministry, nobody who was black ever sat down and had enough courage and vulnerability to share that with me. I knew something about what he said would definitely change me forever. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you experienced something so momentous that you knew that it was going to change your life? Today, we're gonna to look at Acts chapter 10, and you're gonna meet again the Apostle Peter, and the Apostle Peter has one of those moments with God that would not only transform his life, but would literally transform Christianity forever. 
It was breaking down the ethnic barriers between Jews and Gentiles, right? It was to break down those ethnic barriers. And we see little glimpses of it in Acts. We see how the Ethiopian gives his life to Jesus Christ. We see when Philip was doing his ministry, how a group of Samaritans gave their lives to Jesus Christ. But never was there an opening of this ethnic barrier being destroyed so that the gospel message can fall upon Gentiles. And so it really took God taking an authoritative apostle like the apostle Peter, tapping him on the shoulder, speaking to him and saying, I need you to go and break down this ethnic barrier that exists between Jews and Gentiles alike. And it was through that encounter where in Acts chapter 10, one of the most important chapters in Acts is that you and I are here today simply because 2,000 years ago, God miraculously spoke so powerfully to the apostle Peter. And he listened. And he acted, and he was willing to do something that he never wanted to do in his entire life. He never had done, is that he was willing to embrace, and he was willing to get over the struggle of his own ethnic barriers that he struggled with his whole life. And if the apostle Peter had ethnic barriers that prevented him from really doing and living out the gospel message the way God wanted him to, I wonder how much we have as well in our own lives. I'm willing to go out on a limb because Metro is a multi-ethnic church. We have 30 nations represented in this congregation. I'm willing to go out on a limb and saying that we are probably ahead of most Bergen Countyites, if you live in Bergen County, if you live in New York, New Yorkers, uh, than maybe the average person because you wouldn't be here today if you didn't care about ethnic diversity, if it didn't matter to you in some capacity, right? But I am willing to also say that I think a lot of us, maybe all of us in this room, we do have ethnic preferences. We do have a preference that we would rather sort of gravitate towards, and Peter definitely had a preference. Peter lived in Jerusalem when Jewish people, Hellenistic Jews, were going all over the Roman Empire, and they were moving outside of Jerusalem. Peter stayed in Jerusalem because he wanted to just be with the Jews. Peter had the Jewish laws to fall back on, to substantiate and to affirm his own ethnic preference. And what I love about what's happening in this passage is that God taps him on the shoulder and says, no, Peter, you have to be the one now to overcome your own issues with your ethnic preferences, and you need to open the doorway so that the gospel message can be brought forth to the Gentiles. And so what we're going to learn in this passage today is that we're going to learn from Peter and from Cornelius, how can we overcome our ethnic barriers, or our ethnic preferences? How can we overcome our ethnic preferences? And so before we get started, can we just bow our heads for a moment of prayer? God, we come to you today, we ask God that as we uncover this chapter, thank you God that we can look at a text, and God that we can see the text for what it really means. And I pray that you would challenge our community, God, not to continue to just embrace the complacency of this, but God, that we would be able to embrace the complexities, the depth of, and the nuances oftentimes that comes when we talk about overcoming our ethnic preferences, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would empower and and allow us to be more courageous than ever. So God, that we can, and we can learn the beauty of who you are through people who may not even look anything like us. So God, I pray today that your grace, your mercy, your love would fall on this room, on every heart in this room today. 
and there would be such an intimate encounter with you at such a level that we would be able to see what you see in every soul in this room. So I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, God, I pray that it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen. So let me just paraphrase the entire chapter. I don't want to read all 48 verses, but it starts off by you meet Cornelius the centurion. Now, Cornelius was the captain of the Roman army, and a centurion, or captain, oversaw about 100 men. It was literally the backbone of the Roman army, and the reason why they were so successful and so powerful really was because these centurions were quite amazing people. What the Bible says about Cornelius was that he was a devout man of God. It actually says that he was a God-fearing man, and, and they attribute two key things to this. The first is that he was a man of generosity. He was extremely generous to the poor. And that really grabbed the attention of God. And there is that word generosity again. Pastor Sunita preached an amazing sermon last Sunday. And she talked about how if we want to move according to the, the power of the Holy Spirit, we want it to be working in concert with our life, that we have to learn to be more generous as people, right? And here we find directly at the next passage, we find that God's attention is, is focused on Cornelius because he's so generous to the poor. So your generosity, Metro, really does matter. It does matter. It grabs the very attention of God if you want his attention. I don't know if you do, but if you want to grab the attention of God, our generosity does matter. Furthermore, it says that he is a God-fearing man because he prays. And while he was praying, the Holy Spirit reveals himself to him through the, through the voice of an angel. That's what it says. And it says, Cornelius, we need you to send some men to Joppa where Peter the apostle is staying. You need to tell him to come into your home. He didn't fully know exactly what that meant, but he said, okay, that would be great. And so he listened and he, brought, he sent some men over to Joppa to go get Peter the apostle. And while that was happening, while they were on their route to get Peter, uh, Peter is on the rooftop and he is praying. And while he's praying, he's hungry. And you guys, you guys ever pray when you're hungry? What happens when you pray and you're hungry and then you start to smell some food? You start to think about food, don't you? Peter started daydreaming. He fell into a trance. He started thinking about food. And, and, but this, this trance didn't come from the pit of his stomach. It literally came from the throes of heaven. And in this trance, God reveals to him and shows him all these four-legged creatures and even reptiles and birds. And God says to him, Peter, eat. And Peter says, oh, no. I will never eat anything unclean. God, I've never eaten anything unclean in my entire life. Now, for a Jewish person, eating an animal that was considered clean, we know the word to be kosher today, all right, uh, was very, very critical for their own faith. Because they truly believed, and God made it explicitly clear in the Old Testament, that if you eat unclean animals, you will not be accepted by me. And because they want to always live under the graces of God and his guidance and his mercy and his grace, they would never even think about eating animals that were forbidden in the Old Testament. And Peter is seeing all of them displayed in this trance. And God says, eat. And Peter said, I will not, God. He disobeys God and says, no, I will not. I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, don't you dare, dare call anything unclean when I have made it clean. Peter was so thick-headed, this happened three times, to finally get that message he didn't know what it really meant. And then it was at that moment where the Holy Spirit said, Peter, stop thinking about this. Go downstairs. There are three guys here that, need, that want to talk to you. And so he goes down, and he meets these three guys. He said, what are you here for? And he said, well, Cornelius, our master has sent for us. We need you to come back with us. 
He said, well, it's too late. So why don't you just sleep here tonight? We'll go in the morning. And so they do that. They go in the morning, and they enter into Cornelius' house, and Cornelius sees Peter, and the first thing he does is he falls at his feet in reverence. And Peter just says, get up. I'm just a man. And then he reminds him, he says, you know, it is unlawful for a Jew to connect with a Gentile like this. I'm not even supposed to be here. But God reveals something to me, and that's why I'm here. So what do you want? And then Cornelius goes into this little discourse and shares what had happened to him. And Peter then says one of the most important things that was ever recorded in the Bible. Look what he says in verse 34 after Cornelius has spoken. It said this, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Then Peter goes on and he goes into a room. He sees the room is packed with all of Cornelius' family and friends. And he teaches them the ways of Jesus, teaches them, shares with them stories of Jesus Christ. And as he's doing this, literally in real time, the Holy Spirit falls on that room. Everyone in that room is filled with the Holy Spirit. And they are now speaking in tongues, which is a sign of a manifestation. The Holy Spirit is filling these people. And Peter and his comrades look at each other and they say, is this really happening? Their minds are shattered. They can't believe what's happening. Gentiles are now speaking in a different language, in a spiritual language. And they said, well, we got to now baptize them in water. A barrier had been removed. God had shown Peter something. And Peter now had to defend that in chapter 11. You'll see that in a couple weeks. Where he goes back to Jerusalem and he defends what's happening here. And he says, we have to let God do what he wants to do. We have to let God open up this door so that Gentiles now can hear the gospel message. We cannot say that they can't because they're not Jews. And it was because of what Peter did, because of what he did, that it opened this doorway for the racial barriers to be broken between Jews and Gentiles. And you and I may not be here today if it wasn't for that. And it was the doorway where it allowed Paul to go out and to minister to the Gentiles. And Paul writes this in in his letter to the Galatian church. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, oh, I'm sorry, the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, he wanted to remind the Gentiles the significance of what the cross is all about. That's what he really was doing here. In the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2, he talks about the importance of Jesus Christ dying for us on the cross, resurrecting from the dead, so that we can have reconciliation with God, right? Very important. But in verses 11 through 20, he goes on to say, but also Christ has come and he's died for us so there can be reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles. And this is what he says in verse 12. I want to just read this for you. He says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And here's the key verse here. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, what he's talking about, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its command and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. The heart of the gospel metro community church is our reconciliation with God, but it's also our reconciliation with one another, specifically to overcome any racial barriers that divide us. Can I get an amen to that? That is the heart of the gospel message. And what Paul writes here is so provocative because when you go to a temple back in the first century, there was a huge wall in the temple and there's a placard outside. And you know what, that wall, you know what it says on that placard? If you are a Gentile and you pass this wall, you will be killed. 
And so when Paul pens these provocative words, what he's saying is that the heart of the gospel and what Jesus was about was that he was about destroying the walls. He wasn't about erecting a new one or preserving new barriers, new walls. And that's important for you and I to hear today, that when we think about the gospel message, Jesus was never about erecting and building new walls that divide us. He was always about ripping them down and destroying them so that the walls of racial hostility can be demolished so that we can be this one new humanity. My folks, this is the heart of the gospel message that it's our reconciliation with God, but it's also our reconciliation with one another. And Peter should have known this because he's read Genesis before. In Genesis 12, three, God speaks to Abraham. Look at what he says to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Not just Jews. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So when God spoke to Peter, on that rooftop, he was fulfilling the very promise of Abraham that came into fruition because of what Christ has done for us on the cross so that all people could be blessed. Why does God have a heart for unity? So that all people can be blessed. Why does God want that? Because God loves all people, amen? And if God loves all people, you and I have to be willing to put ourselves in positions where we too can love all people as well. The heart of the gospel, the heart of what it means to be a Christian, our purpose in life isn't just to wait till we die and go to heaven. Some of us grew up being taught that. And do you realize that's really a first century way of thinking uh, in terms of a first century Greek and how they view life? A first century Greek believed in philosophical thoughts, from, especially from somebody like Plato. I know we got somebody here in this church that's got a PhD in Greek philosophy. I don't have that kind of education. But Plato, really, the people who believed in his thoughts and his philosophy, he taught that life on earth was like a prison. So the focus is on the afterlife, not the life that you have here. And we've taken that, and we've put the sort of, quote, unquote, our own God theological things to that. And we, too, have taught people today, which is really a crime, that the focus of our life isn't the life that we're living here on earth. It's to wait till we get to heaven when we die. That is so anti-biblical because the purpose of your life and my life is to be a kingdom builder. That's the purpose. It's for us to build a God's kingdom here on earth. That is our divine vocational purpose and calling that God has placed upon all of your life here today. That God wants to use you wherever you are, whether you're in school, whether you're at your marketplace, whether you're at church, whatever it is, that God would use you, in the words of Dr. Martin Luther King, we'll look at this, to be a colony of heaven. So that when people enter your colony they will taste a little bit of what heaven's like. So that we can affirm, even before we get to heaven, what it says in Revelations, that all tongues, all tribes, all nations come together and they worship God. It's the heart of the gospel, Metro. And Peter was having a rude awakening in that here. And so we find that the gospel, the greatest commandment of all Jesus tells us in the New Testament, you know this, is to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And our neighbor contextually in the New Testament, if you look at it, especially in Luke chapter 10, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, our neighbor is always somebody who is different from us, from a different ethnic group. Our neighbor, actually, Jesus goes even deeper, is somebody who you and I would consider to be our enemy. And if you want to love God and you want to live out the great commandment, he says that you and I should love our neighbor as ourselves. Radical. Radical. Affirming what Paul does, affirming here what Peter finally does. And so how do we overcome 
our own ethnic preferences. And for some of you in this room, if I'm just going to be honest, uh, I think we naturally have uh, a tendency to always stick with our own ethnic groups. And so your challenge is how do you overcome that, not getting rid of those relationships, those are important, but how do you open yourself to other ethnicities here in this church so that you can continue to grow as a person whom God created in his image and you can continue to see and affirm that as you live here on earth, all right? But there are some of us in this room where actually your preference is not your ethnic group. Your preference is other ethnic groups. And that happens sometimes when you haven't been accepted by your own ethnic group, that you've been so hurt by them that you decide to go elsewhere and find other ethnic groups that accept you. That happened to my sister Susan. My sister Susan grew up in a, with a learning disability. She was not accepted by the Korean culture. And if you're Korean, you know why. That's the case. And so she naturally went to the black and to the Hispanic community, and they welcomed, they embraced her, and it's the reason why she has married a Puerto Rican man as a result. And so I think even her challenge, and, 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 and your challenge here today, if, if you have not really, if, if your you know, ethnic preference is other races, your challenge then is can you connect with your own and realize that God created you to be that ethnic group for a reason. And don't separate yourself from them just because you have shame in your life because people didn't accept you. So how do we have a healthy balance here? How do we overcome an ethnic preference? For Peter, it was how does he overcome his preference of only embracing Jews. The first thing we learn here, and this is so basic, and for some of you, you might be like, oh, so boring. How do we do this? All right, first way in how we overcome our ethnic preferences is through devout prayer. Through devout prayer. Again, Sunita talked about this last week. Well, I'm talking about it this week. Look at verse one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner. Underline that word Tanner. We're going to actually get back to that later on. Whose house is by the sea. Cornelius was a man of prayer. And how do we know he was a man of prayer? He was a man of prayer because he prayed three times a day like a good Jewish person would. He prayed at 3 p.m., which was the exact time that a good Jewish person would pray. Now Cornelius isn't Jewish. Cornelius is complete Gentile. But he believed in the tenets of the Jewish faith because he loved this idea of monotheism because he grew up in a culture of polytheism, right? And so as a result of that, he was trying to live it out, but he didn't go all the way. You know why? Because the dude didn't want to get circumcised. And I get that as an adult man, right? He's like, I love this God, but I'm not going to get circumcised for this religion. And so he's like, I'm not going to do that. And what I love about this passage is God says, don't worry, I got another way for you. Peter going to show you. Right? Don't worry about that. And so we find, though, that this man was a devout prayer warrior. Now look at, let's look at Peter's devout prayer life. Look at verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down on earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. What we find here is that Peter is praying at noon, 12 o'clock. And that was not a typical time that a Jewish person prayed. In fact, what we learn here is that Peter prayed as much as he can, as often as he can, because his prayer was devout. Now listen, I think the challenge for us is how do we allow our prayer life to be sort of at a place where it can be considered devout. That's a challenge. And I'm gonna be honest with you as well, I don't have the gift of prayer. It's not like this natural thing, oh, I can't wait to go and pray. It's not this natural thing, and I think all of us, we struggle with it at some levels, but what's the key thing that Cornelius and Peter did that made them devout prayer warriors and allowed them to experience a deep revelation of God eventually? You know what it was? It was that they entered prayer not wanting to get from God, but they entered prayer with a posture of, I will give all to you, God. You see, prayer is just a list that you read every day. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing because you should pray, but the Bible says God already knows what you need. If prayer for you is just a list, you're never going to have a devout prayer life. You're never going to know the depths and the revelations that God can speak to you if, you're, if, if you just read a list. Prayer is about you going to God, not trying to get from him, but prayer is about you going to him where you're going to give all of yourself to him. And that's what Cornelius and Peter did. Peter did that so often that it became this lifeline for him. And then God speaks revelations unto him. And it's just such a beautiful thing. What I love about this is that God reveals himself to him. And this is something key for a lot of us. Because when we feel like we've gotten a vision from God or a revelation, we wait and sit on that for a long time until God reveals it all before we take that step. But Peter had no idea what this revelation meant. He had no idea. All he focused on at that point was now what is the next step? And the next step, the Holy Spirit said, go downstairs. That was the next step. And you see how beautiful that is? Because for some of us, you're waiting too much for God to reveal things to you step by step before you try to live into that revelation or that vision. God is just saying, take the next step like Peter did. And as Peter took the next step, he discovered what the next step was. It took a few steps before it all made sense. But if it wasn't for the devout prayer life of Peter, and Cornelius, where they postured themselves in such a way where they didn't just go to God in prayer just to get from him, but they went to him so that they can give all of themselves to God. Will you begin to pray this week and stop praying about the things you want God to do in your life? Would you go with the posture of saying, God, I'm going to give all to you? Amen. See how God speaks. You see, how do you know you're doing that? Pay attention to the words you use, and hopefully you don't use much. Because the reason why God reveals his heart to them, this is the beautiful thing. Do you know God wants to reveal his heart to you? He really does. But if you talk all the time in your prayer, how can he reveal it to you? You gotta shut up and listen. Be quiet, hear from God. And it doesn't matter even if you don't hear anything, because it's not about you getting from God, but it's about you giving all of yourself to him. And a great sort of a, a, a byproduct, a great way for you to sort of evaluate today very concretely about if your prayer life is devout or not, is just ask yourself, do you have good times of silence in your prayers? Because you're so focused on talking that God can't even talk back to you. 
And there's things that God wants to reveal to you. And the thing that God revealed to Peter here was so epic, was so great that it opened the door. It didn't just transform his life, but it opened the door for everyone now to be in touch and in contact and understand the depth, the height, and the width of God's love for them. And God would want to do that through your life as well. He really would. I, um, February is uh, Black History Month. And I'm just gonna be honest, before that time with Brian Loritz 13 and a half years ago, I just thought it was just for black people. I really did. I just thought Black History Month is just for black people, it's fine. And when he shook me to the core, I realized that it cannot be for just black people, but it's for all of us. And so at every February for me, um, it's very important for me uh, in my own life, I try to read um, different authors, especially black authors, and there's so many amazing, um, there's such a large group of them today that you can just read from. But this week, um, I started, I, I read the entire uh, letters from Birmingham jail from Martin Luther King Jr. And can I just encourage you, if you've never read it, because I'm sure many of you probably have not, I, trust me, I get it. Would you make a point to do it this week? And here's the thing, if you have our app, just click on it and you'll see it right there. I asked Tim to do that. Amen. And so if you're on the bus to go to work tomorrow, would you get on our app, click on it, and just, you know, if you don't see, just hit stories, the stories button, and it'll be up there. And just spend 15, 20 minutes reading this heart-wrenching letter that Martin Luther King wrote to white Christian pastors and white Christian leaders in response because they had told him, you're too aggressive with this nonviolent protesting. And they told him to stand down and to wait. And this is how we responded to them. And I want to read, these are not my words, these are the very words of Martin Luther King, written in August of 1963 in, in a jail cell in Birmingham, Alabama. He says this, for years now I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with a piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. We must come to see with the distinguished jurist of yesterday that justice too long delayed is justice denied. We have waited for more than 340 years for our God-given and constitutional right. The nations of Asia and Africa are moving with jet-like speed toward the goal of political independence, and we still creep at horse and buggy pace toward the gaining of a cup of coffee at a lunch counter. I guess it's easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say wait. But when you have seen the vicious mob lynchings of your mothers and fathers at the will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen the hate-filled policemen curse, kick, brutalize, and even kill your black brothers and sisters with impunity, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she cannot go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television, and see tears welling up in her little eyes when she is told that Funtown is closed to colored children, and see the depressing cloud of inferiority begin to form in a little mental sky, and see her begin to distort her little personality by unconsciously developing a bitterness towards white people, 
When you have to concoct an answer for a five-year-old son asking an agonizing pathos, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? When you take cross-country drive and find it necessary to sleep night after night in an uncomfortable corners of your automobile because no motel will accept you, when your wife and your mother are never given the respect the title misses, when you are harried by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a Negro living constantly at tiptoe stance, never knowing what to expect next, and plagued with the inner fears and other resentments when you are forever fighting a degenerating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are, are no longer willing to be plunged into an abyss of injustice where they experience the bleakness of corroding despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the vitriolic words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. And then he ends his letter by saying, while I'm in jail, I spend long hours in prayer. Not trying to get from God, but trying to give all of himself to him. Martin Luther King Jr. and many black Americans in the 60s had wanted white Christians to stand up and fight for injustice towards colored people. But they, for the majority of them, didn't. Why? Because they didn't see the injustice. They didn't. And I think maybe it's because they just approach prayer as getting from God and not giving all of themselves to him. Because maybe if they did, they would have felt the throb of God's heart burning because of what's happening in this country that was built by our forefathers with the purpose of it being a country that proclaims Jesus Christ. 56 years later, after he wrote these provocative prophetic words, you and I have to be very careful of being complacent. Just because there's been some strides of equality in our country, there's still a lot of inequality here. We have to be willing to hear from God through prayer not going to get from him, but saying, God, I want to give all to you. What would you like to say? And we got to be able to feel the throb of his heart for his people. And maybe like you, like Peter, God will tap you on the shoulder and say, will you grow? Will you grow and overcome your own ethnic preferences so that you can see the beauty of my true creation? Devout prayer life will allow you to do that. Without it, you can't. Second, we overcome our ethnic preferences through genuine repentance. We overcome our ethnic preferences through genuine repentance. What do we have to repent of? Our prejudices. All of us in this room, come on. We all have certain prejudices. We do. If you think you, you don't have any prejudice, you're probably the biggest one in this room. We all have some prejudice. I mean, Peter had prejudice. And you would think you would get it from here, but if you keep reading on in, in, in Peter's life in the New Testament, you'll find that Paul had to pull him aside and say, what's wrong with you, man? You opened this door, but you're still just hanging out with Jewish people. And you're afraid to be around Gentiles, especially like you're afraid of maybe the Jews looking down on you. 
And so it's a process. This thing is not a, it's not a one-time event. It's a, it's a lifelong journey that you and I have to embrace, but we have to be willing to genuinely repent of our own prejudices that we've sort of been, that we've absorbed growing up in our own homes that our parents have shaped us with. We, we have to be willing to, to confront our own prejudices that we've had because maybe we've experienced some things that we feel like we're wrong by people of, of different color and that has sort of, sort of tainted our way of looking at them the way God sees them. And notice that I'm not using the word race because race is not from God. God didn't create race. Race is a human construct authored by the devil. That is race. It was creating a social totem pole based upon who is more superior than somebody else based upon the color of their skin. God didn't create race. Man did. And so we don't affirm that word here. God created ethnic groups. God created ethnic groups in this country, all over the world, and we embrace that because God is the creator of it. It's not this race thing, but we have to be willing to get over our prejudices. We have to be willing to genuinely repent. And Peter does that in front of Gentiles. Look what he does in 28. He says, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Peter realized that he had been wrong. When he had been wrong about his earlier prejudices, he readily admitted that in front of his conversation with Cornelius and his family and his friends. Look at what he says in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Peter was willing to confess and genuinely repent of his own racial barriers that he's had in his life and his prejudices. And you and I have to be willing to do that as well. We really do. We grew up in certain ways. And so when, when Brian LaRich shared that in the room and it was completely silent for a good while, I started reviewing the tape of what was going on in my life growing up. And I realized that, you know, my parents owned a store close to Harlem and uh, it was like a gift shop. We sold shoes and kung fu shoes. Back in the day, kung fu shoes were really popular. People would come and buy them all the time. Um, and uh, the black community loved, especially the dudes that came in, they always got those kung fu shoes and stuff. And so, you know, they come in and stuff. And my parents told us that when black people come and when Hispanic people come, we have to follow them because they're probably going to steal from us. They showed it through their actions. And whenever black Hispanic people came, we would follow them. And some of them would get so angry at us to say, as respectfully as possible, I will call you when I need you. And we still would follow them, follow them. I realized that I grew up in a home, even though I attended a multi-ethnic uh, uh, Christian group in college, that I hadn't worked through these things in my own life. And somehow they have, they have sort of shaped me and how I saw black people and saw different folks that are different from me and how I had these ethnic preferences. And it was, it was the preference that I would rather be in rather than opening myself to other ethnic groups. And so as a result, we processed this as a group. We were just kind of silent. And one after another, the 13 Asian pastors, we said to Alex and Brian, would you forgive us and our people for the hurt that we have caused you? It was very genuine, and I didn't have any clue what that genuine repentance would eventually lead to. Alex and I, as a result of that, we became amazing friends. It wasn't because we just jumped out of a plane together. We say that a lot. <laughs> we jumped out of a plane together, so if you do that, well, how could we not be friends? It was more than that. 
And when Alex was getting ready to go to the airport, he said the spirit told him, get back and go ask for Peter's phone number. And so he did. I gave him my number. And we became the best of friends ever since. I wouldn't be who I am today if God hadn't brought this man into my life. I wouldn't have loved a man like this who was black, and I wouldn't have seen his own struggles that he goes through as a black American today living in Madison, Wisconsin. And it's, they're no longer black issues to me. They're my issues because that's my brother. I, uh, thank you. I, I go up to Madison, Wisconsin now, and there's a picture. I, I went to his 25th year anniversary of Nehemiah, and, and I made sure I had a broken hand at the time, but I was like, I'm going to go. I can't miss this. I've got to celebrate with you. But whenever I go, oh, man, I mean, his mother-in-law, Miss D, she loves me so much. She knows how much I love collard greens. And so she always makes me, I mean, she always makes me a badge. And she is, she marched during Martin Luther King days. She has stories. But every time I, I, I always, I used to come in the beginning, I hardly ever see her. She's always locked up in her room. She's just watching TV all day. And then she started coming down. We started talking. And, and, and she made these collard greens once. And it was just so amazing. I just like, this was great. I kept eating them. And, and uh, you know, I, for those who make them and, and you have moms that make them, I'm sure they're good. But Ms. D makes the best collard greens on the planet, right? <laughs> and uh, the most touching thing for me was that I went one time, I asked my wife, can I go during my birthday to Madison? I just want to celebrate with Alex and stuff. And so, you know, Jenny said yes. And so I did. And what really touched me was that Ms. D, she made an entire feast because it was my birthday. And Alex said, you know, Peter, she doesn't do this for anyone. She really sees you as part of the family. Amen. And I've been welcomed and I've learned so much love and what God's love is like mm. through the black community that I don't know where I would be today if I didn't have that in my own life. Mm -hmm. I never thought 13 and a half years ago through that genuine repentance that it would lead to such a vital, life-giving <laughs> relationship in my life. Alex is 10 years older than me. We're almost from a different generation. But whenever he's going through hardships, I'm the first person he calls. Whenever I go through hardships, he's the first person I call. There is something beautiful that God wants to show you through other people that he's created that doesn't look like you. If you would be open to what God would like to show you and you would be willing to overcome those barriers, but it doesn't happen unless you have a devout prayer life and if you're willing to actually genuinely repent of your own prejudices. It doesn't happen unless we're willing to do that. Peter had to. The last thing that we see here, and I'm getting late here, so I can't go through this all, but uh, the last thing, we overcome our racial prefaces through uncomfortable obedience. Uncomfortable obedience. I mean, uh, Peter, I mean, man, so glad my name is Peter. Look at verse 19. It says, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, 
I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. Basically, he said, come and sleep over. You guys don't understand what a monumental thing that this was. This was the very first time Peter was willing to sleep under the roof with Gentiles. That was so key. No, no, no Jewish person, especially those who are God-fearing Jews, would ever allow that to happen. But Peter was willing to be uncomfortably obedient. And I'm telling you right now that if you want to overcome your own racial preferences, your ethnic preferences, you have to be willing to be uncomfortably obedient to God. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to challenge yourself the way Peter did. And Peter, God was preparing him before this. Because where was Peter staying at? He wasn't at his house. He was at the tanner's house. Do you know what tanners did? They made leather from dead animals. That's what they did. And so for Jewish people, tanners are not even allowed to live with the, Jewish, with the Jews because their house stunk of dead animals. And they were dirty and unclean. And so they had to live in the outskirts of the city in order for them to sort of exist sort of around Jewish people. Peter's sleeping over his house. Probably it's because there aren't too many Jews that would let a Christian Jew sleep over. But he begins to start uncomfortably learning the importance of this uncomfortable obedience. Listen, obeying God is never meant for you to be comfortable. I'm going to be honest, it's probably never meant for it to be so enjoyable, although sometimes it can be. But when God calls you to obedience, it's oftentimes really uncomfortable. And for Peter, he had to put himself there to be uncomfortable, to put himself in this place where he was willing to invite Gentiles to sleep in a, in a stranger's home that he was staying at. And then he went and he ministered to Gentiles. Peter had a passion for obedience. It wasn't because he felt that if he did this, God would accept him. No, he did it because he knew God already did accept him. And so that's why he's going to obey him. And so I hope and pray that you all would be able to embrace this uncomfortable obedience because all of you in this room, you kind of know how God would want you to live, but you struggle to obey God because you think obedience should be easy. It's not, it's hard. It's really hard to, when everything in your body says do something that's contrary to what you know God wants you to do and you decide not to do it and go the God way, it's uncomfortably hard to put yourself in that position, but that's the way in how you and I grow. Obedience is never comfortable. It is very, very difficult. And I just say this at the end. The majority has the greater responsibility. If you are the majority in whatever setting you're in, in this church, that's Asian people. There's a greater responsibility on our part because we are the majority. When we get out of these doors, the greater majority falls on the white Americans. We have to lead the way. The majority has to lead the way. And that's what Martin Luther King Jr. was trying to do. He's saying, would you please, would you please come? Will you help and lead this? We'll support you. But if you led this, this thing would be over soon. The greater responsibility always falls on the majority, not the minorities. And so will you overcome your ethnic preferences today? Will you start the journey by embracing a devout prayer life? Well, you don't do this to get from God, but you pray to give all of yourself to him. Will you genuinely repent of your prejudices and really start asking God to show you? And will you embrace an uncomfortable, obedient lifestyle, knowing that that's exactly what God wants you to do? 
I never would have thought that moment 13 and a half years ago would have led me to have a relationship with Alex. We don't just have fun. We don't just travel the world and do ministry together. But this man has single-handedly helped me to be the man that I am today. Oh, he's, you know, he's, a great, uh, he's great at motivating me. He's great at helping me to understand race relations in areas that I can't even begin to even fathom. He's taught me to be a better pastor and a better leader. But you know what he's really helped me to do the most of? He's taught me to learn to love myself. And I always struggle with that because I, struck, I stuck out like a sore thumb. And whenever I stuck out, I always felt like bad things happened to me. So I lived in a neighborhood where everyone was white, blue collar. Kids made fun of me because I stuck out. I'm not an average size Korean. <laughs> I'm big. And when I started dating my wife, who is about, his, her whole family is really short. Uh, my wife is about five, one and a half. She likes to believe she's five, two. But in the morning, <laughs> she's about five, one and a half. Because you know in the morning, you're taller than at night. About five, one and a half, all right? I remember when she started bringing me to her parents' house and they started seeing me, they would look at me not like, wow, so great how tall you are. They would just kind of laugh at how tall I am. <laughs> and I felt like Chewbacca. <laughs> because I could screw on a light bulb without using a stepladder. And they just would start laughing, like, look at what this guy can do. I was like, I felt like I was a part of a circus. And so I just never liked sticking out and sort of, I sort of kind of lived this goal of just kind of blending in and not being noticed and, and I would be happy because if I didn't get noticed, maybe I wouldn't experience some shame. That was sort of how I lived. You know who helped me to get out of that? Alex. He started seeing a pattern in me. And he started seeing stuff like we were at clothing stores and he's like, oh, hey, get this and very flamboyant colors. And I would say, no, 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 I would draw way too much attention way too much, and I kept doing that, and he kept seeing how I sort of lived my life, and I try to always go into the background, and he said, Peter, do you think God made you six feet, four inches tall so that you can hide, and so that you couldn't be seen? He said, stand up tall and be happy how God created you. Wear colors that would draw attention to you like pink. God wants you to be seen. I never would have thought a 10-year-old guy who's older than me, a black man, would not only help me to understand race relations, which is important, but he would help me to understand how God created me and to love that. Don't be ashamed of it. There's so much that you're missing out on if you just continue to live with your ethnic preference. And I think Peter saw it. He saw the beauty of God, and I hope that you will as well, that you would see the beauty of God and understand that the gospel message is about you overcoming your ethnic prefaces to open your heart out to the beauty of God's creation and seeing the beauty of that impacting and helping you to see that you too are beautiful. And so will you overcome? Martin Luther King, I know I'm, I'm going to get killed on Tuesday evaluation. Martin Luther King says this. <laughs> I, I'm going to just end just this one quote, all right? He says that we are a colony of heaven. I'm, I'm going to use that word from now on going forward because that's exactly what we are. We're kingdom builders. We are called to be build a colony of heaven here so that when people come into our colony, they experience God. They taste heaven. But here's what he says at the end. He says simply this, and I think it's one of the most important things that you and I need to be challenged with today. He says, will we be extremists for hate or will we be extremists for love? 
Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice or will we be extremists for the cause of justice? Martin Luther King's words that he wrote 56 years ago rings true today. Will we be extremists for hate or the other word that we can use today is not hate, but it's complacency. Same thing. Or will we be extremists for love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice or will we be extremists for the cause of justice? May you overcome your ethnic prefaces today and see that you can do that by having a devout prayer life. By repenting genuinely of your own prejudices and by your willingness to live in uncomfortable obedience. May the Holy Spirit that spoke to Peter and Cornelius 2,000 years ago and Martin Luther King several decades ago speak to us as a church community today to wake up and see the beauty of who God is. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. God, you truly are an amazing God. And sometimes, God, I pray that you would forgive us because we put you in a box. And we think we have you all figured out or we just kind of don't want you to come and invade and, and uh, invade our boundaries or our borders that we don't want you to come into. I thank you that Peter didn't do that, that he was open because your spirit spoke to him. And I pray that you would speak to us today that as we come together and as we worship you and as we just heard this word and as we realize, God, that the heart of the gospel isn't just going to heaven and reconciling our relationship with you, but it's also loving our neighbor as ourselves and our neighbor is somebody who is so different from us in every facet, God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help our church, that we, we would understand, as Peter did, that the greatest form of spirituality is really loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so God, I pray that you would help us build unity in this church. Thank you, God, that the late Richard Twist once boldly prophetically say that unity cannot exist apart from diversity. That's why God is one, because he is three. And so we have the rich diversity here in this church. 30 nations represented God. And that's why we can achieve unity because we have this diversity. And may we realize that this is one of the most spiritual, gospel-centered things that we can invest our lives in. And as we do, may we see the beauty of other people, but help us, God, to stare into the beauty of how you've created us. Amen. So we thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, there's some next steps that I want you to take. You just flip over your card. The first, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that, please check that off and uh, go out to the next table. Our pastor will be out there and they'll love to kind of give you a new believer's packet and help you to grow. Second, I'm gonna read letters from Birmingham Jail this week. It's on your app, you have no excuse. Please read that this week, all right? Third, I will schedule and be committed to listening to God during my times of prayer. Schedule it and don't talk, just listen. Hear what God might say. And if he doesn't say anything, it's okay because you're not there to get. You get, you're there to give, right? Fourth, I will be part of Metro's Culture Day. We have 30 nations, at least in this church. I want you to represent your country proud. We need to know more about your country. We need to learn, and Culture Day is such an important thing here we have at our church, so please, if you want information, we have leaders that are willing to send you information on how you can represent your country proud so that people can learn and grow, and this will help us to overcome even our own ethnic preferences, so please think about doing that. If you're interested, check it off. We'll get back to you this week with more information. 
And this is the last one. And, and man, I just got an invite from somebody. I'm not going to say his name, but he said, I was so moved. I'm going to invite you and invite about 12 people from this church to his house. He will pay for the dinner. He said, come and let's break down these walls. Let's, let's, oh, let me, I want to, I need to overcome my own ethnic preference. Right? You're going to invite somebody to your home or you're going to go to somebody's home this week. And here's the thing you're going to say to them. What does your ethnic, ethnic group think of my ethnic group? It's a great conversation starter. It might be uncomfortable, but say, what do your people, what do they, how do they see my people? And you share, you know, let it, be, let, it, let it be both and, right? Then you get to share your ideas as well and your thoughts. All right, so do that this week, and I think it will be awesome.